Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw another good day to the upside in Kansas City wheat on Wednesday. That spilled over into Chicago and Minneapolis wheat, while corn and soybeans did next to nothing. And we got another good day in cattle trade on Wednesday. We're going to talk about all that more here on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the show today. I'm Jesse Allen coming up on the program. Excited to dive into things and have a conversation with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. He joins us for our midweek typical conversation that we have with him. And uh, I know he's going to have a lot to say about this wheat market in particular and the rally that uh, we've had the last couple of sessions in wheat led by that HRW uh, trade in Kansas City and how that's affecting or not affecting Accord and soybean markets. We're watching weather in South America, of course, there. And also this cattle trade after a volatile day Friday and Monday to the downside. We've been able to rally back a little bit uh, through Tuesday and Wednesday's session. Uh, no doubt we're going to talk about what's moving in that cattle trade. Have we put a new bottom in? Spillover support or lack thereof to the hog trade. We're going to talk about that. We'll look at energies as well. Got the OPEC Plus meeting coming up on Thursday. That's going to be a key driver in the crude oil market. And then also talking outside market news as well. We got some updates to GDP and more. We're going to dive in and have a conversation about all that coming up here today with Mike Zuzalo. He'll join us in segment two and three to discuss. Also coming up at the end of the show today. I'll have a look at a few news headlines for you to uh, take a look at. A couple different things we're watching throughout agriculture, of course. So we'll get up to date on what's moving in the news uh, coming up at the end of the show. First up, though, let's get a little bit of market analysis. As I was joined midday Wednesday by Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Arlen shares his thoughts about what's going in the grain trade as wheat, again, higher on Wednesday but not really offering much support to corn and soybeans. We talk about some of the outside economic factors, the Federal Reserve getting ready to meet again in two weeks, and also some of the notes in the livestock sector. Cattle had expanded limits but didn't take advantage of them on Wednesday. We talk about all that and more. Here is Arlen Suderman of Stonex starting with his comments on the grain trade. I think it's significant. We really don't have a fresh story for corn and beans. Wheat, uh, you could argue whether we do as well, but we are seeing a continuation of the short covering profit taking there after falling to fresh uh, two plus year lows in the Kansas City market. And uh, the funds 
exiting those short positions now, and that's starting to turn the chart signals. Momentum trading algos are jumping on it and riding it higher as well. We haven't necessarily confirmed a bottom yet in this market, so we'll see what the follow-through is. A lot of times we'll get three days' worth of moves in this, um, but for now that upside is uh, support in Kansas City wheat, and that's giving some support then to Minneapolis and Chicago then as well. I know outside markets, uh, we're looking at GDP. We got stock futures. Uh, we're a bit upbeat traders uh, looking at a soft landing for interest rates here in the economy. Crude oil, we're watching the OPEC meeting. So there's a lot swirling in the outside markets right now as well, midweek. Yeah, the interesting dynamics here is everyone's trying to estimate what the Federal Reserve will do. They meet again in two weeks. Uh, there are certainly signals of the economy slowing down, but you wouldn't know it from the third quarter GDP numbers that were revised today. This is the second reading of those numbers. Putting gross domestic product, how we measure our productivity in the United States, up to 5.2% annualized growth for the third quarter. Uh, that's up from 2.1% the second quarter. So that would suggest an economy that's got a lot of strength in it. And if that's the case, you typically do not get inflation under control or at least down to the 2% mandated level. Um, that, now, as I said, there's a lot of other indicators in the economy as well. Uh, so the market kind of reserved overall in its response to that. There's still a sense of optimism there that we're going to have a soft landing. So I guess the market choosing to see it as the glass is half full uh, and uh, thinking, well, the, the Fed's probably done raising rates. or so probably decrease rates next or next year, um, even if we don't go into recession and the economy is still strong and they see that is good. In the livestock trade, I know we have expanded limits in live and feeder cattle here on Wednesday. Hogs uh, as well as cattle are higher, not taking advantage of those expanded limits necessarily in cattle, but still looking like another good up day here midweek. Yeah, once again, we put in a new low in the cattle market, and then we spend some time kind of consolidating at that level. So does that mean that the bottom for this move is in or not? That'll be the key question to be tested out over the next couple of weeks. This is typically a time of slower uh, demand kind of uh, going into the holiday period. Retailers are largely stocked with what they need. Um, but as we look at this market also, it's expected to remain relatively tight over the next year. The question is, what will the consumer do? Today's economic data would suggest maybe a little bit more health by the consumer, therefore a willingness to pay up. And that's kind of helping support today's strength in the protein complex. And once again, that is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us around midday on Wednesday to give us thoughts on what is moving in the market trade midweek. Well, one uh, news note before we get to break, as we're talking about the cattle herd, the U.S. cattle herd is the smallest it's been in a long time. Lance Zimmerman, Senior Beef and Cattle Market Analyst for Robobank, says producers are still contracting their herd sizes. Yeah, we are. Basically, 2023 will be the fourth year of cow herd contraction. By the time we get our January 1 cattle inventory report, I'd expect the beef cow herd to be probably another 500,000 head, 600,000 head below last year's number. Like I said, in total, 3 million head since the 19 highs. And it's even though cattle prices are exceptional right now, whether it's baby calf prices, weaned calf prices, fed cattle prices, 40, 50% above a year ago.
The contraction is continuing unabated for one reason. We still have drought. What I always tell folks is, yeah, California may be looking better. Other areas of the country may have moisture that hasn't for a long time. When it comes to the nation's cow herd, you watch that area of states from Texas up to South Dakota and then over to Iowa and down to Arkansas. Those eight states represent 50% of the beef cows in the U.S. If that area is under drought, the cow herd's under distress. And we're still fighting that drought, even though we've transitioned to El Nino. And there hasn't been much improvement in the dry conditions. There hasn't been, and in fact, when you look at the fall and winter outlook from NOAA, there's little pockets here and there that are seeing improvement, but most of the outlook says continuing drought or even worsening. And so the good news is we had just enough timely rain that hay stocks should be stronger on December 1 based on our estimate. So we'll have a little more hay around us to get us through the critical winter period. And so right now we're just kind of hoping for enough winter and spring moisture to prime that pump as we go out to grass turnout. And hopefully as we transition to next fall, then we get into heifer retention. Zimmerman says producers are feeling some frustration because they can't take better advantage of higher cattle prices. I would say frustration is down as a whole compared to what we saw leading up to the pandemic and through the pandemic. They're finally seeing profitability, but you're right. There's just a general frustration, I think is a good word to use, that we're so close. We got the price rally we need. Again, that's Lance Zimmerman of Bank. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue the market conversation. We'll be joined by Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, I can't believe I'm saying this, but two days in a row, strong days in the wheat trade, led by Kansas City HRW Wheat. Double-digit gains seen there on the day Wednesday. Quarter beans, though, didn't give much spillover support. In fact, we really didn't do anything at quartered soybeans on Wednesday. While we continued our cattle rally off the uh, wild, volatile trade we've seen the last couple of days to the downside, we're going to talk about all that and more. Joining us today for market analysis, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, looking at these markets now post-holiday, some interesting nuggets here. It's It's been a... Um, been an interesting couple of days. I guess that's the only word I could really come up with here for this market trade, Mike. Yeah, the volatility was as crazy as we were fearing it would be, if not more, Jesse. I think that was the number one takeaway as we came back from the weekend, especially Monday's trade, where it seemed as though um, something came out of nowhere that totally destroyed the wheat charts and the wheat technicals and really left me thinking, where is that demand low? And where is the market in terms of worrying about Black Sea supplies, Australian supplies, Argentine supplies? Why is it breaking so hard? And I I think it really did come down to one piece of news that was kind of wrapped up within um, a surge to the downside again on Sunday night and, and Monday's trade as well in the Chinese hog futures. They were the leader to the downside before the wheat broke. And so when I was talking to clients on Sunday night, I said, you know, I like everything except what's going on in the Chinese hog market. I don't know what's going on there, but this gives me pause and concern 
about the uh, market action Monday, <clears throat> came to find out Monday midday that Chinese wheat buyers reportedly were asking French uh, uh, contractors who they had purchased the wheat from to push their purchases out maybe as much as two months. And I was hearing one, one and a half million metric tons. And so it was a big amount. It was our biggest you know, commodity buyer as a whole, uh, even though Mexico's really come on here the last couple of years. Um, but it really, I think, shook the earth, especially with the hog market um, in, in, in China also taking a big hit, uh, really shook the earth of the longs and the demand bulls especially. And I think what it did was took out a lot if not almost all of the longs that jumped in after the U.S.-China meeting, that thaw in relations seemed to give us a bump. The trade started to buy into the grains again, and I think they jumped right back out again. So that helps explain the volatility. And then today and yesterday's turnaround is, is also explained with some fresh fundamentals. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive into this wheat chart a little bit, the HRW uh, monthly chart. And always enjoy where we have our weekly conversation and the charts you provide us. So walk me through just kind of what you're seeing here. I, I see a lot of lines on this chart, a lot of activity and that volatility we've seen the last couple of days, especially in KC wheat here, Mike. Yeah, the first thing I call your attention to is the bars in this chart. And you notice the last bar has turned from red to black. We've essentially rallied off the lows from just two days ago by over 50 cents. We are now closing out the month of November with just a couple days left now, only one day left actually, uh, with this market now higher on the month. That's a big deal to me, Jesse, especially given that we've been able to do this in such a decent amount of volume underneath us. And you notice also right where that black bar is in our last price trade uh, Wednesday afternoon around 640 in the hard red futures, that as we go into December delivery now, Wednesday night, this is going to become a big issue with the cash market and the futures market and that white wedge, that white pennant or wedge that is formed right on this month's price action. So what I'm looking at right now, and when I add to the bottom of the chart, the potential buy signal in the stochastics with the purple line coming in and crossing over, trying to cross over the green line down there in the bottom right hand part of the chart in the corner, if that follows through with the buy signal, after this week and we cross into December, then the purple uh, uh, wedge becomes a longer term target price potentially because we broke lower prematurely about four or five months ago. So that's the big picture heading into 2024 when it comes to the hard red wheat. This is purely technicals. We don't know what fundamentals would get us back up above $8 and up towards eight and a quarter where that purple wedge point is right now. Well, winter wheat condition looking good here this past week, too, in the U.S., 50%, uh, good, excellent ratings. And so we're we'll watching winter wheat here moving forward. Now, we've seen this good strength in KC wheat. We've also seen strength in Chicago and Minneapolis futures, but I haven't really seen the wheat pull the corn higher at all. So let's look at this chart, looking at SRW and corn. Walk me through what you're seeing here. Maybe you can makes more sense of this for me, Mike, because, you know, with wheat rallying, corn's not doing anything. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and this is one of the neatest charts that I've created. It's an annual chart going back to 1973 of the annual prices 
high, low opening and closing for corn and soft red wheat. And then the 10-year moving averages for those uh, two complexes. And you're right, the wheat market, after having six straight years higher, which going all the way back to 1973, we'd never done that before. We are taking a pause and going lower. And we did eat into fresh three-plus-year lows in the soft red wheat. And so that has naturally helped pull the corn down, and we can see that. We've had five straight years in a row, higher prices until this year when it came to the corn market. Again, never seeing that since 1973. So we were really running hot. We figured this year would probably be lower, but I think what helps explain the big break in the corn is the fact that the soft red wheat has taken such a big hit and has fallen so much. So this brings us to the 10-year averages, these moving averages in blue. We've gone below it in the soft red wheat. We're trying to get back up above it, though, as we close out the year. I think that would be extremely important to hold the 10-year uh, moving average in the corn at around 442, not to have to go through that. So that's one of the big things that I'm watching, especially with delivery upon us in the December futures, as I said a minute ago, Jesse. I, I would also throw in there, when you look at this chart, you look at the hard red wheat chart, what is the one thing that you and I have talked about other than China that could give us that move to the upside and kind of salvage these prices? And it's really about the bonds. It's really about the interest rates. And with today's GDP number so strong, it didn't give the bond market pause from its rally. And I thought that was very, very interesting. In other words, we're seeing the bonds go up and that's taking the, the interest rates down now. And I think that could help fuel that commodity investment, that commodity buying that you and I have been talking about probably for almost six months at this point. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very great point. On the corn side, I want to ask you, too, I know we've set new lows in March corn. We did finish with a little bit of green on Wednesday in March corn. Dees corn just broke the 450 number on Wednesdays. We're going into delivery. Are you worried about more downside pressure in this corn market as seemingly there just isn't a story right now in corn? Yeah, I really am if we have heavy deliveries. I think that's the next shoe to drop. Two big things coming up here in the next five days is going to be the deliveries, which, as I said, they're right upon us now. If we have heavy deliveries, we got to remember, like we talked about last week, it's seller's option. That means the seller has the decision to make that he thinks the mercantile price is better than the cash price out there. And in some locations, as we've spoken about before, that is indeed the case. So if we have heavy deliveries, that means the mercantile price, I think it means anyway, that the mercantile price is too expensive to the cash and it needs to go lower. And so that's why I don't want to see heavy deliveries in the corn the first couple days of, of the process. And, and, and if that doesn't happen and we've actually made a demand low in the wheat, and why would we be making a demand low in the wheat? because we've seen the Russian price come up, we've seen the Ukrainian price come up, we've seen Morocco come in and reportedly buy anywhere from 120 to 150,000 metric tons of French wheat for right away delivery. Um, we're starting to see some of the mechanisms, finally the gears kind of unseize and start to move again, that maybe we're in the midst of a demand low now in this wheat. So that's the biggest issue that we have to face is, the wheat was the leader to the downside for the past three, five months. Does corn then take over that 
unfortunately, that mantle and that leadership role to the downside the next month. So this is where I think the very short term, along with that OPEC meeting and the help from the crude oil market, we really need those things to come together right here, right now. Well, once again, that is the voice of Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics joining us here for our market analysis today. And we're going to continue our conversation coming up after the break. Now we got some thoughts from Mike on the crude oil market. We'll touch on soybeans, and I want to talk to Mike about cattle and hogs as well. So we've seen pretty volatile trade there the last few sessions. So we will dive into all that and more coming up here after the break as we continue with more market talk on the way right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, you uh, mentioned the crude oil market. Let's talk about that a little bit here as well in that OPEC meeting. And uh, walk us through this next chart. I'll pull up on our video feed, the uh, weekly WTI chart. Uh, what is going on right now in crude what are you keeping your eyes on as we wait to find out what opec's going to decide here with their thursday meeting yeah i think that the the mindset that i would have right now and kind of the whispers that i hear right now is that saudi arabia wants to keep the pressure to the upside on prices and keep the supply cuts intact all the way through the winter time jesse and that's their goal in this weekend's meeting that that was delayed by a week what we see in this chart is kind of the market giving way from the news um, that the Middle Eastern war was not going to expand. And so we've pulled premium out there. We've pulled longs out of this market there as well. And I think then you also had the break to the downside because the OPEC meeting was indeed pushed out. And there, there, there was thought that there wasn't agreement and that countries like Iran and Russia were gonna keep pumping up the volume and not go with Saudi Arabia. So we've now gone back down to that $70, $75 level support that really has been a good support level, plus or minus three, four dollars most of 2023. And you notice that 52-week moving average, we've tried now three weeks in a row to get back up above it after falling below it last month. We haven't been able to do that. If we can get back up above that 52-week moving average after the OPEC meeting, I think we may be back toward going towards the old channel and the and regain our uptrend because tightening supplies with the kind of growth we just saw from the GDP numbers would make me think the trade would be ready to come in and buy this market again. And I would also say that I think things are heating up again between Russia and Ukraine. Even though we're going into winter, it sure seems like Russia is trying to provoke more and more. So that could become a bigger war again as well. So that's kind of the chart look mixed in with the fundamentals on on the crude oil market okay all right good stuff i should ask on the soy complex real quick and i think crude could maybe tie in there a little bit we've seen decent product strength in oil and soy oil and soybean meal 
uh, beans. So we bounced off the 200-day moving average early in the week. A- any thoughts overall, even though it was a kind of a quiet day Wednesday in the soy complex, any thoughts on soybeans right now? You know, generally speaking, I would say you're right. The bean oil market's been most of the reason why we've been able to go up. The the meal has kind of cooled off. It looks a little bit dangerous on its weekly chart for a break below a moving average. Uh, I think the big thing for me right now, Jesse, goes back to the bean market going to 1350, stalling out again. It just said to me again that it needs the wheat and the corn on its side to be able to break through that 1350 level on a weekly close. If we can do that, then I think we have another 30 to 50 cents upside, technically speaking. And and I think fundamentally speaking, we can as well because the soybean planting progress at 75% as of Conab's numbers this morning, that's behind 86% a year ago. That's the slowest in eight years. And so this goes back to the idea that the beans are carrying some premium, but maybe not enough if the weather gets worse again. And I'll jump back over into the corn. The corn market with the first crop corn planting at 55% right now versus 69% a year ago, it has zero premium. As you said, we just went through 450. We have no South American weather premium in that corn market, if you ask me. And we have the funds, the managed money funds, at a 40-month high in terms of their net short position. They're back to that 185,000-plus net short position in the corn. So I really think that if the beans are going to go higher, it needs the corn, it needs the wheat. If we don't see that, we don't break through 1350, I may turn into a hedger once again. All right, let's go over to the protein sector. I got uh, a couple charts from you, a cash cattle and a cash hog chart. And uh, let's start with cattle and you know, Mike, uh, I didn't even buy a ticket to the uh, roller coaster ride in this cattle market in futures <laughs> the last couple of days. But hey, uh, we were stuck on it. What a wild, wild trade! Friday, Monday, uh, losing a lot, especially in feeder cattle. Then you come back Tuesday and Wednesday, and uh, we we gained some back. So try to make sense of this to me. What have you been seeing in this cattle market here? And then walk us through this chart as well. Well, we, we finally, and I think we've come to the, the the point where we've done enough in terms of taking premium out because it's similar to the soybeans. When you run a market so red hot on tight supplies and strong demand, you better not lose any of your demand. And I think that's where the cattle market got ahead of itself with a strong dollar and the strong dollar brought in imports. In fact, USDA just made the announcement that the 2024 beef import forecast that they have I think it's around 3.7 billion pounds, Jesse. They're expecting that to be a record. And this year in 2023 is going to be one of the top five in history as well as far as beef imports. We're also bringing in a lot of feeder cattle from Mexico right now. We're bringing in fat cattle and calves as well from Canada. So I hope that when I give you those illustrations and the, and the viewer those illustrations, you can appreciate more the currencies and the dollar and the impact the dollar could have either favorable or unfavorable in 2024 when it comes to the beef sector and the pork sector especially. But this chart would suggest to me that we've done enough damage for right now. This is a negotiated cash cattle trade. Um, I believe it's FOB that I did. It's not delivered. I believe it's FOB, but it's running around and that's your that's your white line. That's going to be on the left-hand side running about 174.73. Meanwhile, we've got the CME cattle futures, which is your bar chart, running just under 172 after Wednesday's trade. Now, I'll call your attention, and this is not a forecast, but I'll call your attention to the price action just below the CME cattle futures 
tag or title. Right below that, you see a gap in that chart at about 182, 183. There are gaps in the D's fat cattle chart and the Feb fat cattle charts up higher, like several dollars higher, just like this chart is showing. And I think that is a target price for lead month futures at some point. And maybe it won't be December, but I think the DEES and uh, maybe won't be it, but I think maybe the Feb and the April could be the target prices. So I'm out of all my hedges at this point, waiting for more news and especially waiting for the hogs and pigs report and the uh, January biannual cattle numbers. All right. Good thoughts there. I'm going to flip charts to a cash hog chart here. And I, I think Hogs as well have had a decent amount of spillover influence from this cattle market here in the last few sessions, whether it be down or back higher. Talk to me about this hog market right now, Mike. I'm going to assume the seasonals are intact and that the hams are making a low because of the Christmas holiday push. I still think beef's going to have a good uh, Christmas. USDA doesn't believe that. They think prices are too high. I think people are Consumers are worn out of the pork and, and to a lesser degree, the poultry, but especially the pork. Having said that, if the ham seasonal is intact and we're going higher in the hams, here again, we have a similar look. We have a lean hog index, the cash index from the Merck in orange. It's at 72. Your lead month futures in the Dece, which is going to go off in the middle of the month next month, left-hand side of the, the chart running at 69. So you've got a discount in the futures compared to the cash. If the ham seasonal is intact, I think the cash market's solid. That would suggest the Dees hogs have some support to them. I, having said that, I don't like the fact that the February hogs are running away from the December. So I'm going to be watching mm -hmm. that very, very carefully. All right. Well, as we look to wrap things up here today, uh, always great stuff. A anything final you could think of you want to mention or reiterate in terms of, of the grain or the livestock trade right now as we're taking a look at things as we wrap up the month of November? You know, I've really tried the last two weeks, especially Jesse, to focus on some of the bigger picture things like the Chinese trade issues with the United States and that thaw. I've tried to focus on the dollar and the bonds and the Federal Reserve neutralizing itself. I think the trade's picking up on what we've talked about, that they believe now the Fed is going to be neutral because we are slowing down economically here and around the globe. I really think the timing is coming in now. As I said a couple of weeks ago, I'm the most optimistic I've been probably in six months that these headwinds are at least not going to be headwinds as we get ready for 2024. So I'm right in the middle of crunch time. So please pick up a trial, pick up a subscription. I think it'd be worth your while to keep track of this time period for not just your 2023 hedges, but the going into the 2024 time period. Where could folks pick up that subscription, check out your analysis and uh, get a hold of you with questions, Mike? Yeah, best places go to globalcomresearch.com, a globalcom with two Ms, research.com. Product services on there. Trial subscription is on there to uh, get signed up for. And also my toll-free number is on there. So if you need to call, talk to me something specifically, just go to that website and take a look. Fantastic. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for joining us this week. And we will talk to you again next week. Appreciate it, Jesse. Appreciate you having me. And once again, that is Mike Zuzalo, president of Global Commodity Analytics, joining us here today for market analysis on the program. 
Few of the closes from Wednesday. December corn down one and three quarters, four forty nine and three quarters. March corn two and a quarter higher, four seventy five and three quarters. Soybeans January up a half penny, thirteen forty seven. March up three quarters, thirteen sixty five and a half. January bean meal down three fifty a ton, four twenty seven. January bean oil down thirty points, fifty two sixty four. Chicago wheat December twelve and a quarter higher, five fifty six. KC wheat December up twenty seven at six forty. Spring wheat December up two and a quarter, six ninety six and three quarters. But more moderate strength of deferred spring wheat contracts december live cattle up 25 171 90 february up 65 173 47 feeder cattle january up 115 222 20 march up 77 224 27 december hogs up 5 68 97 february hogs up 107 at 70 10 and that's a recap of how the markets wrapped up the day on wednesday all right coming up next we are going to take a look at some news headlines as we wrap things up here on the program we will continue and be back with more on market talk on the way right after this Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today on the program. Appreciate time with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. As always, enjoy the conversations with him and uh, his take on what's happening in the markets. Well, let's take a look at a few news headlines before we wrap it up here on the show today. As the seasons shift, ensuring optimal ventilation becomes a crucial consideration for farmers in maintaining healthy livestock during the winter months. Nestle Octin, Livestock Controlled Environments Extension Specialist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, says ventilation in winter isn't just about keeping animals warm, it's about safeguarding their health. There are a few different challenges that come with winter barn ventilation. In winter, we want to make sure that there is enough air exchange to prevent the accumulation of moisture, dust, ammonia, maybe pathogens that may cause health problems in animals. So this is one challenge. How do we do it? Another challenge is in winter, we lower the ventilation rates, and then we are providing only a little bit fresh air inside the barn and distributing this fresh air evenly to each stall or pen in a calf barn is a challenge. So in calf barns, sometimes we use solid panels to prevent rust and cause stress. So we want to make sure that each pen receives some fresh air, even in winter. There are two types of ventilation that farmers can use. How do you know which is best for you? It really depends on the design of the barn. If it is a mechanically ventilated building, if there are no side curtains, then they can only lower their ventilation rates. But some of them are designed as a hybrid so if there are curtains, I think it is a good idea to have the natural ventilation in winter. Well, during the winter, it's important to calculate the proper air exchange in your barn to prevent the buildup of moisture or ammonia. So our golden rule is four to six air exchanges per hour. So it really depends on the volume of the barn. 
but we recommend to have minimum a minimum of four air exchanges per hour. So the whole barn air should change four times in one hour. So we need to make sure it is happening to have enough or good air quality inside the barn. Having these systems in place isn't enough. Proper maintenance is also key, or you can actually be ventilating bad air to your animals. It's always a good idea to keep the ventilation fence clean. So dust accumulation may reduce the fan efficiency 30%. So when we think we were thinking that we are providing enough air, we may not be providing enough air to the barns. So if we are relying on natural ventilation, we need to make sure that we maintain those curtains. So if there are any moving parts, we need to make sure that they are moving smoothly and they will not get stuck when we need to lower them or when we need to pull them up. So we need to make sure there is no dirt or mold accumulation on the curtains. It's a good idea to keep them clean. If we are using positive pressure tube ventilation, you need to make sure that there is no mold accumulation inside that tube. Otherwise, we are just blowing mold and it may affect their health. And again, that is Livestock Controlled Environments Extension Specialist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Nestle Octin. Well, about 40% of all Canadian farmland is rented. While that number runs a bit higher in the central Canadian region of Ontario and Quebec, the number of rented acres tends to be a bit lower in the prairies. Farm Credit Corporation, better known as FCC, is Canada's largest farm lender and a federal government agency. FCC has been tracking and analyzing farmland rental prices in depth for the past three years. Vice President and Chief Economist J.P. Gervais says that 40% level has increased slightly, but based on fewer properties selling recently, the number is stabilized in 2023. 40% is an average. So you were looking at some of the provinces in central Canada, you would probably find a little bit of a lower percentage of land that is being rented. There's a little bit of stability now, I'd say, in the data, which is not surprising given that we've been reporting land available in the market is very thin. So that makes sense that this number is actually quite stable now. In its latest report, Canada's Farm Credit Corporation says the Canadian farmland acreage broad average rental rate is just over 2.5% based on the market selling price evaluation for an acre of land. However, Gervais reports that the average percentage rate is closer to the 1.5% to 2% range in Ontario due to extremely high land prices, especially in southern Ontario. It is not unusual for land to sell in the twenty dollars to $30,000 per acre range in southwestern Ontario. Conversely, Prairie Province land rental rates are holding in that 2.5% average based on their current acreage price. National average is 2.55, and you have prairie provinces that are right in that average. You got Manitoba at 2.4, Saskatchewan at 3.1%, and then Alberta at 2.6. For the other provinces, land rental rates did go up, but not as much. The average land value in Ontario has to be lower. You wouldn't be able to make a profit on Ontario with those rental rates. While Ontario farmland owners receive a smaller percentage relative to the higher value of their land, Gervais explains that Ontario farm farmland owners still capture a large revenue return. That rental rate in Ontario captures a greater share 
of farm revenues when you look at a typical corn soybean rotation compared to what it would look like, for example, in Saskatchewan with a typical wheat canola rotation evaluated at average yields, average prices. So that rental rate, even though it's a lower percentage, it captures a greater share of gross revenues compared to Saskatchewan. And I think that explains some of the differences that we have. And once again, JP Gervais is the chief economist for Canada's Farm Credit Corporation. Always interesting to hear how things are north of the border in terms of uh, farmland rental rates and the overall Canadian farm economy. Speaking of the farm economy, the U.S. farm economy, that is, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at net farm income, interest rates, and more coming up on tomorrow's program. We'll have a conversation with David Widmar, economist with Agricultural Economic Insights. Looking forward to talking with David uh, again. It's been a few weeks since we've had him on the show, getting an update on some of their latest research there at AEI. So looking forward to that tomorrow. Also, we'll talk markets with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, and see how things are moving and shaking in the commodity and livestock trade as we near the end of the week. That's going to do it for Market Talk. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.